Good evening, everyone. It's a uh, privilege to be in the Lord's house and to have the opportunity to open the Lord's word and to share a few thoughts with you. You'll probably notice on the uh, on the bulletin on the on the back page there a brief outline of the thoughts that I had laid on my heart to share with you tonight. You'll probably see the little headline on the top there, putting on the armour. And we know that the Apostle Paul had a great deal to say about putting on our spiritual armour as a defence and protection against the wiles of Satan and against the influence that he has upon the world. Putting on something, putting on the armour for our defence. In my time in the fire brigade, it was one of my. It fell to me to be one of my jobs to make sure that everyone had their protective clothing on. They had to have the whole lot. Those yellow overalls that you see people wearing. They had to have the helmet with the flash hood and the goggles and the gloves. Otherwise, um, it was my job to say, "Sorry, you can't come on the truck." Go back home, you can't come. You do not have the protection that is required. We need to be thankful that during the, in the pages of Scripture there are so many parts of Scripture that tell us how we can protect ourselves from the wiles of Satan. The passage that I've chosen tonight, if you'd like to turn to the book of Jude, book of Jude and uh, the... You can see in the bulletin there the, the, the verses that I've chosen there. I did it deliberately. I chose verses 1 to 4 and then verses 17 to 25 in the interest of trying to preach a positive message. We know that in those 12 intervening verses there's a pretty sorry tale of what can happen even inside the church when people are deceived by the wiles of Satan. And it's a pretty sorry story, unfortunately, but I wanted to be positive and put some emphasis on those first few verses and then the last few that end in that wonderful benediction in the book of Jude. Only one chapter, but it really is a summary in so many ways of the Christian life and the challenges that we face as a consequence of our choosing to be followers of the Lord. We'll open in prayer and then we'll move on and open the word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the fact that we can freely assemble here in this place. We thank you, Lord, that through your word that we can draw spiritual strength both from, from you and from each other as we fellowship together and spend time in the word. We thank and praise you, Lord, for the truth of your word, for its power, for its protection, for its providential care that it offers to each and every one of us and the hope that it holds out for each and every believer who have put their faith and trust in our risen Lord. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the fellowship that we can enjoy and for the assurance that we have that in spite of the challenges that we face, that all is well. And we thank you and praise you for that. We thank you in our Saviour's precious and holy name. Amen. Those first 
four verses of our passage and I'll just read those. And Brother Derek this morning touched upon a little bit upon the, uh, the background of Jude who wrote this one chapter. We know that from history that he was the half-brother of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ along with James. Not a lot of difference in their ages, I suggest. They probably grew up together, probably played together, spent a lot of time. We know that our Lord and Saviour's ministry did not begin until he was 30 years of age. We know also that um, if you'd like to turn to John chapter 7 and verse 5 and Brother McConnell um, touched on this this morning that in, in Christ's family he was not recognised as being a prophet. John chapter 7 and verse 5 and uh, when I get back to there I'll just read it for you. John chapter 7 and verse 5 where it says... For neither did his brethren believe in him. The brethren didn't believe him or in him. Probably because of their growing up together. We know that they had good parents in Mary and Joseph, loyal and faithful. And they grew up together. But our Lord was not recognised as being a prophet in his own town. The book of Jude is in many ways written to, in, in many ways there's a similarity to Second Peter and some of uh, Paul's epistles as well. In many of Paul's epistles we see the greeting at the, at the very beginning, quite often the warnings in the middle and then the encouragement towards the end. And in Jude's little letter it's very much structured in the same way those first few verses of a greeting and it's a greeting to believers. It's addressed to them. We do not know exactly who these believers were or where they were, where they were working, where they were stationed. But Jude greets them in this way. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called important verse there makes it clear to whom Jude was writing mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints earnestly contend and the word contend if it means a derivative of that word is contentious. It means that there's a battle going on, that somebody has to stand up and contend for the word. The word is under, under attack and there's a necessity to stand up and contend for the word. And verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Crept in unawares who were before of old ordained. In other words, 
They were never saved. Satan had a hold on them virtually from the very beginning. They were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. When we divide this letter from Jude into its three portions, we can see firstly the greetings, secondly the warnings and calling out the apostates within the church, and thirdly the solution and the encouragement and the exhortation to spiritual maturity that's given in this book, urging us to have that spiritual discernment that is required. Verses 4 to 17, we see it's talking about church people, people within the church. The challenges of the early church with the false teachers, it didn't take very long, did it, for the false teachers to appear. They were virtually there from the very beginning, preaching another gospel, another doctrine. They were there to kidnap and to abduct people from within the church to another gospel. More than likely they were pious people preaching their own doctrine and seeking to gain as many followers as they could. Nothing's changed in that respect. We see pious people today, don't we, in clerical garbs, preaching all kinds of doctrines. It's sad to say, even in recent times, even in the last week, that one of them was called out and will one day face the courts for treating the lives of young people with with total disrespect. He'll be called out for that. How much damage that does to the church is not possible to calculate. How much damage, because people relate very quick to relate to anything like that going on to Christianity and, bl and very quick to bl blame the church. Pious men all clothed up in fancy clothes pretending to be super religious. In our text there, I've divided that portion up. You can see there those four things that I've listed there that we'll work our way through perhaps as we go. Firstly, to be enlisted, and we see in those first few verses, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved to Jesus Christ and called, which means that we've been enlisted from the very time that we accepted Christ as our Lord and Saviour, when the Spirit spoke to our hearts and said to us that we need a Saviour, we cannot go on living the way that we are in a lost and dying world. We need a Saviour. And thank God one was provided. From that very time, we've been enlisted into God's army. And we put our faith and trust in the Christ of the Gospel our Lord and Saviour during the, during the gospel ministry demonstrated to us so clearly about the love that he had for the lost. And I praise God that most of you have responded to that call and answered that call and enlisted for the army because there is a battle ahead of us. 
We were dissatisfied before we received the Lord and Saviour with a world that had no foundation. We were worried about and concerned about our eternal destiny and so we enlisted as soldiers of the cross. I'm reminded at this stage of that wonderful hymn that was written by Isaac Watts and it poses the question, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies in the second verse on flowery beds of ease while others fought? to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. There's a real challenge there in that passage, those words penned by Isaac Watts. And at the end of the message tonight, we're going to sing hymn number 369 that poses another question too. It says, give off your best to the master, give of the strength of your youth. Throw in your soul's glowing ardour into the battle for truth. There is indeed a battle raging for the truth. It's raging today just as it was in the church in the day when Jude wrote this, this very brief letter. It helps us here to identify the enemy. It's an enemy within in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, it speaks about them as having a form of godliness. They say the right things. They dress up appropriately. They spend time in fellowship with believers. They have that form of godliness. They seem to say all the right things. But we know that there are so many that are counterfeits Imitations of Satan, completely counterfeit in every way. We've been given some help here in, in John's epistle. In 1 John and chapter 4, if you like to turn there, it gives us the guidelines as to how we can identify these people that are even within the churches today. 1 John 4 and verse 1, Beloved, it says... Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now is already in the world. No doubt the fellowship that Jude was writing to had already been warned that Antichrist would come. And here the writer is helping them to identify it and giving, giving them the, the way that they can protect themselves. Speak the truth in love. And that, and that is exactly what John did in that second letter that he wrote, speaking the truth in love, talking about Christ's deity. We know that these, but the, one of the first things that happened 
in an apostate church is an attack on the deity of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, an attack on his deity. And we see that if you pick up an um, international version of the Bible, you can see that in the book of Acts in two places. In two, you've just got to turn one page to find it there where the deity of, the, of our Lord and Saviour is attacked and taken out. A little bit of scripture removed and we know also that in some places a little bit is added here and there the only salvation the atoning sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour back in 1 John just where I was reading before 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 just down a few verses from where we were chapter 4 and verse 10 Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Any attack on Christ's deity means that an apostate church would hold that view. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, that familiar passage of scripture there that we know, Salvation by grace alone, by faith through, by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And interposed in that is lest any man should boast by grace alone. Verse 17 in our text, and I've missed the, those 12 verses in between that point out so clearly what the problem is and when we move into verse 17 Jude writes but beloved remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles and of our Lord Jesus Christ how they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust so the warning had been given these be they who separate themselves sensual having not the spirit but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The guidelines and the protection there that Jude offers to the people within that fellowship to whom he was writing. Those intervening verses there and it as I indicated, in many cases, the epistles of the Apostle Paul follow the same pattern. A litany of godlessness. Mankind at its very worst. Verifying here the abominable behaviour called out in Paul's epistles. And here we can have a look at and... It is a comparison with, uh, in many ways to the book of 2 Peter as I indicated. 2 Peter chapter 2 and a few verses there from verse 12 and also verse 22. Verse 12 said, But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Speak evil of the things that they do not understand. In other words, the Holy Spirit had not spoken to their heart 
There was no understanding of the deity of Christ and the salvation that was offered as a consequence of his sacrifice. Understanding not what they were doing. They were called out well and truly in each, in each of Paul's epistles and we, haven't, we don't have time to go there. The attribute of the godless between verses 4 and 17, they were winning as many followers as they possibly could. They were interested in kidnapping and abducting people from within the church. They didn't make any converts. They didn't go out to seek the lost. They went to the churches where there were people who were wavering perhaps in their faith, not fully understanding what God had done for them, not born again and vulnerable to every wind of doctrine that came along. Nothing much has changed. These things still occur even today. I can remember my mother speaking about one of our relatives on the Rapsi side of the family, and there's still some Rapsis living in Wodonga. Many of them I don't know. But one of my ancestors, they faithfully served in a church for many, many years, both husband and wife. And in their old age, in their virtually in their twilight years, the husband became a Jehovah's Witness and his wife was absolutely mortified. She just didn't know what to do. She'd faithfully served for a long period of time and I believe she was saved. And then her husband changed to become a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, what a shock. She'd been living with her husband for so long and yet he changed his doctrine in that time. In the when I was doing some of the reading in preparation for this message, I was reading one of the commentaries and um, there's a reference here made in poetic form that tells us exactly what we're up against here. It was written by a poet, uh, an American poet called uh, Lowell. And uh, the Americans, when you, when you look him up, uh, the Americans didn't think much of his poetry. He wrote very good literature, but they didn't think he was much of a poet. P perhaps it was because of what he was writing. It might have been a case of killing the messenger because they didn't like the message. And he wrote these words, and I've used it once before, but it's a poem that we need to carefully listen to, just line by line, and there are about eight lines of it. It begins with... Careless seems the great avenger. History's pages but record one death grapple in the darkness. Twixt old systems and the word. Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. Yet the scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow keeping watch above his own. A summary there of the human condition and the fact that God within the shadow is still keeping watch above his own, standing firm within the shadows and in between verses 17 and uh, 25 we can see there 
the necessity and, well, the fact that God is standing within those shadows even today, just as he promised, standing within the shadows, protecting us, watching over us, preserving us, standing firm. Ephesians 6 and verse 11 says, Put on the whole armour of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. And if you don't think there's a battle, write a letter to a Fairfax newspaper decrying the fact that the country has voted in favour of gay marriage. Write a letter to the paper and quote Leviticus 18, um, Romans chapter 1, and see what happens. I can assure you that you wouldn't want to put your address on the bottom of the letter. You'd probably get plenty of phone calls and visitors and they wouldn't be very pleasant. But that's the kind of world we live in. The battle is still raging and we need to stand firm and be, be encouraged by these verses in the book at the end of the book of Jude. Stand firm, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Spend some time in this fellowship. Spend some time in prayer and in the word, preparing yourself for the battle because the battle is going to be well and truly on. Standing against the wiles of the devil. It's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. It's not an intellectual battle. It's a, a spiritual battle to be prepared to strengthen ourselves for it. Be furnished in the word. Our Lord, we know in... Uh, early part of his ministry used the word to resist Satan in Matthew chapter 4 used the word as a protection and defence for the wiles of Satan there are no new revelations that will be given what the New, Te New Testament apostles taught us and Jude was one of them is still true and acceptable and relevant today nothing has changed but beware of the fact that the counterfeiters are still out there. If the churches were fully furnished in the word, there wouldn't be any converts for Charles Taze Russell, for Jehovah's Witnesses. There wouldn't be any converts for Mary Baker Eddy or Charles Manson or, or Ronald Hubbard or all the others that drag people away from churches into a lost eternity. They play on the fact that many people have trouble with the Bible. They have intellectual trouble, some of them say. They can't, can't resolve themselves to the truth of creation. They can't handle the Old Testament miracles. They can't believe them. They have trouble with the flood. A little bit on, on the flood. Our brother... John McKay, when he was here, was saying the first thing that 
he the first thing that happened to him when, when he went to the Queensland University School of Geology, they said, we do not want to talk about the flood. Never talk about the flood. That's a fairy tale for adults. It has nothing to do with science. Don't talk about the flood. Don't talk about the virgin birth. Some people have intellectual problem with that. Don't talk about the resurrection. It's an even bigger hurdle to jump, the idea that somebody came back from the dead. Fairy tales for adults. That's one of the latest mantras that they have when they're criticising the word of God. Fairy tales for adults. People without faith. We need to remember the word that has been written and spoken, now written for each and every one of us. In verse 20 of the, the book that we're reading now, in, in the last few words of Jude, those words of encouragement, we've been enlisted. And I pray that we've been enlightened as a, as a result of those intervening verses between verse 4 and verse 17, those intervening verses. I pray that we have been, truly been enlightened by them. I pray too that we've been encouraged by the fact that God is on the throne still today. Amen. And we need to be enabled. And in the last few verses here, the prophet Jude gives us some enablement. Verse 22 says, And some have, and some have compassion, making a difference. Compassion makes a difference. The love of Christ should bring us into compassion for other people, compassion for the lost, compassion for those that are struggling with whether it be with spiritual issues or health issues, relationship problems. There are so many things that we can do and when we fall for the trap of doing things in our own strength or feeling sorry for ourselves, the challenge is to go out and find someone who has a need and do it. If you're ever feeling down or lonely, I'd implore you to go and help someone. What a difference it makes to have compassion and to go out and help someone in need. It changes your whole perspective to do that. Make a difference. And verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Pulling them out of the fire at the last moment and hating that garment. Leaving that garment behind if necessary to save them by fire. And that wonderful benediction at the end of this letter from the Apostle Jude where he says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And I'll stop there. Able to keep you from falling. There's a warning there as well. We need to be warned that we can fall. Many mighty people have fallen. Some people that we considered at one time to be spiritual giants, we probably all know one or two, that we once thought and considered them to be spiritual giants. Where are they now? Some of them have fallen. So there's a warning there in that benediction from Jude.
to look to the one who can keep us from falling, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What a wonderful hope that you, there is in that benediction, that he is able to present us faultless, the spotted garment gone. I pray that we're not all just saved by fire, by the skin of our teeth, as it were, that we've been saved much earlier in our life where we can give some service to our Lord and Saviour in a way that we can, Lord, show how grateful we are for our salvation, to be in service for him and be presented faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And then finally, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And they all said, Amen. Amen.